So our reading today is John 4, verses 4 to 42. In the Church Bibles, that's on page 1066. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Zishar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you've nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could somebody have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, 
The one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I have sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Before we look at our passage in John, um, let's look at some background in the Old Testament. Let's look to Genesis. In Genesis 28, verses 1 to 3, Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and sent him to Padanaram to a certain house to take, to take for himself a wife from there. On the way, Jacob had a dream in which God appeared. And in verse, verse, chapter 29, verse 13, God said he would give him the land he was lying on. In verse 14, God repeats the promise that he made to Abraham. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and it will spread in every direction across the land. And Jacob acknowledged the Lord God as his king. In Genesis 29, Jacob arrives at Paddan Aram. He comes to the well. He met some men there. He greeted them and asked them if they knew a certain man, his uncle. In verse 5, he asked after him. And they replied saying, here is his daughter Rachel with his sheep. Verses 9 and 10, when Jacob saw Rachel, he went and rolled the stone away from the entrance to the well. And he himself watered her, sheep, watered her sheep. Jacob, the patriarch, provided water for the shepherdess. He told Rachel that he was a relative of her, of her, of her father. And she ran and told him. In verse chapter 29, verse 13, when Laban, her father, heard this, he ran to meet Sorry. He ran to meet him and brought him into his house. Jacob stayed with him and eventually married Rachel. In our passage today, the Messiah provides living water to the outcast and her people. John 4 and verse 4. On his trip from Judea to Galilee, Jesus considered it essential that he go through Samaria. Strict Jews, like the Pharisees, would take the longer way 
take the, I'll, I'll go to the map in a minute. We'll take the longer way up the Jordan Valley just to avoid contact with any smart in town. They take, see, there. That's a good asking at the arrow on. <laughs> That Jesus thought it essential that he go that way points to a compelling divine necessity. In John chapter 9, verse 5, we see that Jesus had come as the light of the world. The light must shine to others than the Jews. Now, a bit of history. But why did this division exist between the Jews and Samaritans? The reasons go back a long way. In 2 Kings, chapter 17, verses 23 and 24, the Assyrians took Samaria captive. They deported a great number of the people who lived there and replaced them with people of their own country. These people, in verse 29 and 31, these people brought their own gods with them. After a while, belief in these foreign gods disappeared and they worshipped Yahweh alone. Though the beliefs differed from the Jews, the only scripture that Samaritans acknowledged was the Pentateuch. They refused to worship at Jerusalem and went to their own temple on Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim there, where the triangle is. This was built in 400 BC. The temple was burned down by the Jews about 128 BC. Relations between the two groups worsened. By New Testament times, an attitude of hostility was firmly set. In John 4 verse 5, he came to Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob, but given his son Joseph. We see from Joshua 24, verse 23, that Joseph was buried near here. Verse 6. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, being tired, sat down. It was the hottest time of the day. In the following verse, a woman came, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Asking a Samaritan for a drink is an acknowledgement that though the two peoples don't see, eye to, don't see eye to eye or didn't see eye to eye, the Samaritan has something which Jesus, a Jew, needs, but may not receive unless the differences between the two races are overcome. And Jesus really was thirsty. But the request becomes a means to overcome the barriers between the peoples with the goal of receiving the most important element of human life, that's water, that Jesus was thirsty. And he provides an invitation for dialogue, one which the Samaritan woman takes up. In verse 9, she asks the question that is at the heart of the division between the races. She says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can, how can you ask me 
for a drink. It marks the gesture of Jesus as unconventional. That he should ask a woman for a drink is not so surprising, since at that time it was women who generally drew water. But the request involved using the Samaritan woman's utensil. And some Jews were very cautious about using things considered unclean. In verse 10, Jesus raises the conversation to a higher level. He says, if you knew the gift of God and, and who it is who asked you for a drink. This implies that the divide between the Jews and Samaritans has made it impossible for the Samaritans to recognize Jesus as the Christ. The living water is God's own life that came through Jesus to us. In John 7, John chapter 7, verses 38, 39, it says, Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The implication is that the thirsty person will find that Jesus fulfills a need that cannot be supplied elsewhere. In John 4, verse 11, the woman takes Jesus' words literally. She misunderstood living water to mean fresh running water. And so says, that's impossible. But she does admit that if he could provide it, it, amount, it would amount to a miracle and leaves the door to further dialogue open. She says, you are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? The, the Samaritans claim to be descended from Joseph, Jacob's son. In John, John chapter 8, verse 53, the Jews ask him, the Jews ask him, if he's greater than their father Abraham. This continues the theme of Jesus' superiority to, to the patriarchs. The two sets of comparisons illustrate the common heritage of the two communities. And Jesus' superiority is further elaborated by the water that Jacob's well provides and the water that Jesus alone can give. In verse 15 we see the woman asking, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. Initially, it was Jesus making the request. But now the woman expresses a genuine, heartfelt desire. Jesus is not just a thirsty traveling and boastful Jew, but a person with a gift. But she hasn't yet understood the spiritual sense of Jesus' living water. And so at the end of verse 15, she says, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw. To draw. In the next verse, Jesus says, 
Go, call your husband. And the woman answers in verse 17, I have no husband. In admitting to having no husband, she acknowledges her pain. Her guards are finally down. And she expresses her need. Jesus' insight is further demonstrated by him saying to the woman that she has had five husbands and the one she has now is not her husband. She calls him a prophet. But Samaritans don't believe in prophets. It is possible that she is coming through the dialogue with Jesus to an understanding of him as the Christ. (coughs) The conversation moves to worship. I think that it's her elevated understanding of who who this man is that leads to the conversation in worship. Verse 20, she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you people say that it's in Jerusalem. It's a place where men ought to worship. The comment reflects the state of the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. But if this problem were solved, the divide would move towards healing. Jesus answers in verse 22. You worship that, that, that which you do not know. The Samaritan Bible contains only the, only the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. The riches of the prophets were closed to them. So they don't have as, as complete a revelation as even the Jews of the time had. Verse 24, Jesus says, God is spirit. The conflict about worship sites is influenced by the concept of a God who is localized and limited to a particular place and a particular people. But only the spirit of people can touch the spirit of God. The the woman declares in verse 25, that I know the Messiah is coming. And in the the following verse, Jesus Jesus insists he is here now. He says, I am the one speaking to you. This is a clever lady. She may have understood the reference to to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14 where Moses asked God in the burning bush, who should I say sent me? And God said to him, say, I am sent you. A commentator said, Jesus is more than either Jew or Samaritan had comprehended in the word Christ. He's the answer of God to the sin of the world. In this context, though, The words can't just be a statement of greatness. They're a challenge to respond. Another commentator said, 
they're another form of the invitation, come to me. And the woman went back to her town and was speaking to, to the men, made what was previously impossible come to be. She finally gives in to Jesus' instruction in verse 16 to go. In verse 29, she says to the men of the town, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. The exaggeration reflects the profound impression that Jesus' knowledge of her life has made on her. Meanwhile, Jesus talked to his disciples. His disciples have come back from the town. In verse 34, he makes it clear that the work he does is no human work. It is that of one sent by God. And in verse 35, Jesus has an urgent message. He's an urgent sense of mission. And these words let the disciples know. Verse 35 says, The fields are white unto harvest. The disciples mustn't be lazy. And in verse 36, the following verse Jesus says, already he who reaps is receiving his wages. This verse lets the the disciples know the urgency of the task. We see the outcome of the meeting at the well in verse 39, where many Samaritans believed in him because of the words of the woman. In verse 40, The Samaritans come to meet Jesus and invite him to stay with them. The woman's woman's calling the townspeople brings them to Jesus. And that historic barrier, 400 years old, is finally broken down. And the gospel is brought to the Samaritans. They accept that salvation comes from the Jews in the person of Jesus. And they acknowledge him a saviour of the world. The expected Messiah heals the divide between the two groups and brings unity. Jesus is therefore the basis for unity and challenges all types of division among Christians. I think our passage is about healing. Healing in so many different, on so many different levels. but especially of a rift that had gone on for hundreds of years. I keep repeating that because it's central to this passage. But soon after I first came here, eight years ago, someone who's here today said to me that we're a family. We've since included a lot more people But even still, the family feeling is present. Perhaps we should acknowledge that. Hold it firmly. Because it occurs to me, our bond as family may be a dim reflection of the unity that we're called to. And we can see the promise that God made to Abraham and to Jacob fulfilled in Jesus. In John 17, verse 21,
Jesus prays to the Father for believers that they may be one. Let's hold to his words and continue to be united together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of Jesus that in him we have forgiveness. Let's hold to his word and stay united, especially as we face as we face an uncertain future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.